When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So we're back in the second week of international break for another live edition of WGTA. Today we're having a look at the talismans, having updated the data and had a look at the trends. Hope some of you will have seen it, but if not, fear not, we'll go through it and we have plenty to talk about. I'm a bit jet lagged. I have a bit of a flesh wound. Um, but I've come for a 75% yellow flag to be here tonight uh, with these guys. I'm joined today by Nick and the familiar youthful face of world traveller, Irish football expert, FPL Stag. First up, uh, how are you there, Nick? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you, Tom. I'm enjoying the international break. It's a nice little reprise from FPL action. Yeah, it's been all right so far. The international break, not too boring. England have been doing well. It's, it's coming home again. We've got a tournament. We're in a semi-final again. So yeah, things oh. are going well. Um, <laughs> maybe not for Ireland. I don't know, Stag. How, how are you? Uh, guys, it's it's great to be back on again. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I'm joining you tonight from the, the land of international sporting contrast. Um, Ireland are playing Denmark in our final Division B Nations League game for at least a couple of years because we've already been relegated. Uh, meanwhile, the nation is still toasting a victory against the All Blacks at the weekend in rugby, probably sealing our place at the, the top table in world rugby. So it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit of an odd position to be in at the moment as an Irish football fan, sports fan generally, um, being at the top of the world in one thing and falling through the floor in another. So, Well, good to have you on at a state of, uh, well, in between trepidation and delight by the sounds of it. Uh, just say again who we are. We're, of course, who got the assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. Uh, use Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever you'd like to listen and subscribe. And we're joined by at FPL Stag today. And on today's pod, we're going to be talking talisman, uh, looking through the data we've gleaned uh, with the help of Mitchell Sterling, which is stay up front. So thanks very much for pulling the data for us and being part of that, Mitchell. And trying to talk about how this concept can help you guys as FPL managers. Yep, sounds great, Tom. And uh, thanks, guys, for all those who have submitted questions. Um, so shall we start on then with the game week reviews quickly? So would you like to start, Stag, as our guest? How, how are you doing this season and how did you get on last weekend? So things are starting to come together again for me at the moment. I'm now at an overall rank of about 47k on 764 points. That follows three consecutive green arrows that have hauled me back into contention, really, in all of my mini leagues and everything. Um, I was outside the top 400k before this pretty decent run through the end of October and the start of November, so I'm hoping to continue that upward trend. Last weekend itself, the last game week was it was fine. Like there was it was nothing special, but I think I did better than most people. Nevertheless, I'm trying to remember exactly how many points I got, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, it was a fine game week, I guess. I didn't have uh, the likes of Rondon who went off, but I did captain Salah, and I did enjoy a good nine pointer from Pereira at the back, which is always nice to see. So yeah, a pretty decent game week. That's pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, I got sixty two, took a minus four. Um, it was a green arrow for me. It was a bit of a small green. I was a bit down in the dumps last game week after having like quite a massive drop and a pretty poor overall week. I think it was my worst of the season with only 51. So 62 was a nice surprise, sort of back into the green arrows, even if it was a small green arrow. Um, I got points from Guerrero, Captain Salah, uh, 
Fraser, I mean, Robertson has back smashed it with a 12 points with Alonso as well. It would have been a lot nicer had I got my double walls clean sheet, but unfortunately now snatched away from me in the last few minutes in the most awful fashion as well. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty painful. I think Doherty was on for free bonus at one point as well. So all those points went about sort of 10 or 12 points odd in the last uh, five minutes of the game, which would have been a really good green arrow if, if I got those points. So, yeah, a little bit disappointed by that onwards and upwards so they say and uh tom yeah you beat me again didn't you so a little bit more of a gap building between us now yeah i, I achieved la decima stag you like that as a as a spanish football expert and um, i've got the 10 green arrows in a row and um, now um up to the top 50k uh, after a bit of a nightmare start of the season like the last 10 game weeks and the first two games were like two completely different sheep 63 points for me didn't take a hit rolled my transfer uh, captain Salah as well um, had Robertson in the back had Alonso um, had Aguero and I had Kennedy or Bro Potus as he should be known while we're on this pod um, he, he's, uh, he's second on my bench with an assist uh, because I decided to play success over him but at the end of the day he can't complain too much and I've become a steady green arrow and two free transfers to play with which has been kind of all the rage during this international break but it sounds like we're all doing okay and me and Stag are actually perfectly level aren't we in terms of points at the moment Absolutely, and, transfers yeah. and transfers made and in two leagues i'm above you and you're above me in a different one i, I don't really know how that works yeah if we, if we keep this up our team ids are going to start coming into contention aren't they yeah exactly It'll what's yours five on six I think oh four, i have 49 oh <laughs> So yeah, so he win he wins by the fact that he uh, logged onto the website faster than I did. I was too busy leaking information at that point by the sounds of it. <laughs> right. Okay. Um let's move on to the main talking point this week, which is the talisman. Um so just a brief overview of this and, and what the hell it's all about. The names Michu, Mares, and Josh King uh, perhaps come to mind here. Um, we back began this last year. Uh, we'd of course known about it for a little while, but we began to really think about the idea that on several teams you had that key man. Um, who was attracting attention as a talisman in the real football world and also in FPL. Um, so someone like Shakiri or Arnie um, was the main source of points of that player's team. And we're trying to figure out how we can metricize this and how it could be quite useful. Worth mentioning here that Joe at Fantasy Football Scout has a very similar measure, which draws similar conclusions. You can access that on his, on the member site of FFS. And it's uh, looked at through stats, uh, as in uh, football stats rather than ours, which is for an FPL sense. Um, so the FPL game, um, but both frequently valid and complement each other very well. So um, we both come to very similar conclusions. Conclusions. This isn't about appearance points, uh, so we remove those. It's about the individual pros and cons, which also means no clean sheets um, either, nor uh, points made for conceding, but goals, saves, assists, and bonus counters points as part of this. I did this in the summer, and we uh, found that, uh, for example, you know the as you'd expect, players like uh, Shakiri, like Arnautovic, like Mares when he was at Leicester, and Pascal Gross were all heavily contributing a high proportion of their points uh, than other players on their teams. And we also found that, startlingly, if you'd owned Gross, Shakiri, and Arnie at the right moments in the midfield, you'd have outscored Sterling for 7.5 million-ish, uh, which made us really think about the fact that getting these guys in at the right time and getting them in is a great way to optimise your part of your team for not very much money. And we've done the same formula around now. So uh, that's, that's basically it in a nutshell. I've spoken that through very, very quickly. In terms of the data that we've seen, guys, there there are some sides that are particularly talismanic, aren't they? A good illustration of a player who, at the moment, at least, I mean, a big caveat, it's up to each manager to engage brain and assimilate info to come to your own conclusion. But a good example of this moment is Danny Ings, who's got 42% of Southampton non-appearance points. Interestingly, 66% of all Southampton non-appearance points were scored by McCarthy and uh, Ings. Uh, so let's talk about these guys a little bit. The main talisman and what do we see there and um, this is also because Mitrovic, Arnautovic and uh, Jimenez for example. Danny Ings is definitely an interesting case because of his price point as well he's very 
for affordable and a lot of those other guys you mentioned as well are all very reasonably priced you know Mitrovic um I think I ended him obviously earlier on in the season and he uh, proceeded to blank every single game week um and out of it for West Ham he's definitely proving to be West Ham's talisman and, and looks like he's going to be key for them this season and then you've also got the likes of Jimenez at Wolves and, and Callum Wilson of course at Bournemouth all these guys are all very very relatively well priced you can fit them into your team quite nicely yeah and then they bring you points as well for, you know half the price of the likes of Harry Kane so Harry Kane's obviously very expensive to afford and when you can you know, fit a talisman from uh, one of the sort of mid-priced, um, sort of mid-table teams, then uh, I think it's it's very effective to bring these guys in. Um, starting, I guess, with, with Danny Ying. So he's um, he's had 42% of Southampton's points so far this season. And that's that's quite an incredible stat, actually, when you when you look at it um, in terms of the talisman for, for Southampton. But then I, I looked a bit deeper into Southampton and saw that my man uh, Pierre-Emerick Hoiberg was the top-scoring midfielder for them currently. And with only eight goals so far, um, how much can you read into Danny Ings being, you know, someone who's essential for your team? I, I don't know. I, I think I'm still a bit iffy about bringing him in because, you know, there's clearly not anyone who's creating the chances for Southampton at the moment. You've got Bertrand and Cedric and and they're getting a lot of crosses in but there's no one really that's creating chances in midfield and I think for a player like Gings if you're looking at Ings or maybe even you know Charlie Austin's been a, a former favourite of ours from Southampton you, you kind of need to have someone who supports him and that's that's what I think is great about Callum Wilson is Callum Wilson is Bournemouth's talisman but they've also essentially got a talisman in midfield as well in, in Ryan Fraser with Wilson's had a I think he's had about 28% of Bournemouth's uh, attacking points, but Brian Fraser's only just behind with 23%. So I think those two complement each other very nicely. Whilst with things, you don't really have that midfielder player who, who's complementing him. You know, the likes of James Ward-Prowse, for instance, haven't really ever stepped up their game. And the likes of Redmond are, are probably too selfish to to sort of create chances for, for Ings. I've looked into Ings a little bit more myself. And I the thing with Ings is that Whilst he is second in FPL for goal involvement, he's been involved in 71% of all Southampton's goals. Only Jimenez is better than that at Wolves with 73%. And whilst his minutes per goals, um, per goal attempt in the box is very good, it's 30.6, which is on a similar scale to Mo Salah. Um, Aguero has a much better one, but there gets an attempt in the box every 21.6 minutes. Uh, for Ings, it's around 30.6 minutes. So in a statistical sense, the thing about Ings is that things do look good, but if you watch Southampton for even a second, that's what breeds the doubt in them. Like, uh, kind of what touching on what Nick was saying, that the thing with so many successful talisman like Siggy and Gross last season would be the two best examples that we have, really, is that they have so much more responsibility in actually creating the chances that they that they like make for themselves. They create chances for others too. They drop back, they get involved. So there's so much more scope then to pick up points. Uh, look, and as well, in their cases, they both have more set-piece duties than Ings has now. The thing about Ings, and I think this is what takes away from him as even a candidate to be a talisman in the true sense of the word, is that he's really just a poacher. He has a similar time played one of this year's uh, talisman, which is Arnautovic, but he has 80 less touches in the final third than Arnautovic. He has 55 penalty area touches, but that's 21 less than Arnautovic's 76 so what you end up with is like someone like Ings who on paper looks like a great talisman. His expected goals are good because his chances tend to come close to the goal. But the fact of the matter is, is that expected goals only tells you the story of how good a chance is statistically. It doesn't actually tell you about the likelihood of scoring it, if that makes sense. It's quite different. And so 
because his cha- his chances are rarely born out of him actually dribbling or taking multiple touches. They're just first time shots or contacts quite often. Just eleven of his shots, um, eleven of his thirty three shots are actually considered as individual efforts by Opta. For reference, that's seventeen out of thirty one for Anadovic, thirty four out of forty eight um, for Salah, perhaps indicating just how uh, one touch or you know singular touch like finish his sort of chances are. And I think that's what differentiates him from other talisman that we've seen before is that his chances are very much just quick shot go um whereas he's not creating the chances himself ings's numbers in that sense are a bit like aguero's and the 21 of his 54 chances are considered as individual efforts but the fact of the matter is that aguero is aguero for a reason he is the best poacher in the world always was before guardiola converted him into a slightly more involved player i think that's why i don't like ings overall as a talisman nor as an fpl asset i've sold him yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. But I think the point with these guys, to some extent, despite the fact you can, you know, consign uh, Danny Ings to the uh, dirty underwear hamper, is is the idea that because they're fairly cheap, especially at the moment, the last year it was, as I mentioned at the beginning, a little bit more about the mid-price and fields moving them around. Uh, the guys who are coming out on top for uh, in terms of the talisman ratings, apart from um, Martial at Manchester United, who we'll talk about a little bit later. I mean, I've got Arnautovic, Mitrovic, Ings, Wilson. Uh, they're all mid-priced uh, strikers, and, they're, and Jim as well actually and they all kind of fit an area that you can move around the assets fairly easily um, and especially in accordance with the fixtures so I think maybe if you are saying we're not definitely at this point not saying yet yeah, buyings but I think what we are saying is that if you, if Southampton do so between games 23 and 28 they run to a good set of fixtures then maybe you'd be looking at him as the talisman to be getting you those points that maximize that cheap position and make sure you're playing that player within that time frame if that makes sense. In terms of other players in this in this area, I mean, one guy I think uh, who is public enemy number one at the moment, but still exists very heavily in these is, is Mitrovic. I think he's maybe worth just having a chat about quickly. As Nick mentioned, quite a lot of us did bring him in. I mean, I did get a goal out of him against Watford uh, way back when. Uh, but he's had 15 attempts in the in the last six games. He's got has 13 percent accuracy, which is the lowest of all of the regular forwards. And he scored no goals in the last six. But with Ranieri there. Uh, could he be used a little bit more, di- a little bit differently, and he could could he recover? Um, I think that may be worth just talking about quickly, especially because in game week seventeen and twenty, so over Christmas, they've got West Ham, Newcastle, Wolves, and Huddersfield in a nice kind of uh, free home game uh, sort of stretch. Mitrovic, would you ever consider him again? I think with Mitrovic is just that I think we have to throw out all the stats that we have and everything we've seen and just start again. We have to see what actually happens under Ranieri. I think that. With Rendianieri coming in, his early objective has to be to try and match what happened in the second half of Leicester's title-winning season, where they turned around from you know outscoring opponents to just minimising the opponents' chances and then hitting them on the break and actually getting a few you know, narrow victories instead. And I think that's got to be the blueprint, considering how Fulham have been hemorrhaging goals and chances all season so far. So with Mitrovic, I think he's suddenly gone from okay, we had a fair amount of data to look at and we could see that he was isolated up front, he was really struggling, he was is inaccurate. And now we have to see how he's being supplied by the Ranieri system. And so with that in mind, I think it's he, just everything about Mitrovic is just a massive question mark at the moment. Yeah, I think you have to sort of take his performances at the beginning of the season with a grain of salt to a certain extent and look at him, you know, going forward based on the new manager coming in. I mean, Fulham's fixtures are, are mixed bag. They've got Southampton at home up next, which I guess would be... Um, you know, pretty reasonable fixture. If you do own him, you'd like to give him a chance. But then after that, it's Chelsea, 
um, Leicester, Ranieri's old club, or Chelsea, Ranieri's old club as well, uh, Manchester United and West Ham. So, you know, mixed fixtures, a couple of really tough fixtures. I think I think most of us who owned him, we really got burnt by his sort of lack of performance in that Huddersfield game, especially when the likes of Tom had um, Arnie, who, who I think got braced that game week as well, was a real differential compared to us who, who stuck with uh, Mitro just for one more game week and then he uh, proceeded obviously to, to do nothing again so uh, I think you have to look at that and you think oh god is this guy you know this season he has proved himself as one of the best forwards so far this season I mean he's he's actually second for goal attempts behind Aguero with 43 so he has he has actually he is getting a lot of chances that he is you know options are available for him he will score again probably in the next couple of game weeks I wouldn't be surprised at all but it's just up to you when you look at some of the other options in that price bracket you have to compare him to the likes of Anatovic the likes of Wilson and at the moment I think he falls behind those guys in terms of an option yeah, that certainly makes sense. When you've got your man um, Jimenez as well, who hasn't, he's come back early from Mexico duty. A little bit of a graveyard in terms of their, their wing back position at the moment, Wolves, but they do have Huddersfield and Cardiff to come next. I know that Jimenez is also the top transfer player in, I think, this uh, over this international break, isn't he? And he yeah. has come out as being the, the kind of the main attacking talisman, at least for Wolves. He's got a 33 uh, non appearance points over 123 in total, which is 27%, uh, pretty high. And uh, I think that Jimenez is definitely a player that a lot of people seem to be looking at. Especially after a couple of very good returns and very difficult fixtures uh, before the uh, before the international break, Stag, do you have Jimmy? I'm not too sure. We're going to call him Jimmy from now on, just in case you're wondering who we're talking about. Yeah, I'm going to go with him and Eth still. Um, no, I, I don't. Have... <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't actually have him. No, I'd be tempted by him for sure. But I've right now got a front line of Wilson, Arnautovic, and Aguero, and I don't really have any real need to change that. I've got far bigger problems to solve in the short term. I think my biggest thing that I'm working towards from a strategic point of view is trying to get Salah into my team. So if I find that the, the easy that I need to you know find money to make that happen, maybe a transfer to Jimenez is worth it. But from maybe Callum Wilson, who has a tough set of fixtures now, but I think overall I'm not too pushed about him just yet. I've got Doc at the back. I don't know. Like he's he's had the chances. He's playing well. It's just for some reason it's just one of those ones that just hasn't tempted me yet. I think for me, I think I'm definitely looking at him as an option. So uh, some of you probably know that I've got Sam Vokes currently in my team, sort of filling an 11th man hole for some strange reason. Basically, last week I wanted Sadio Mane and uh, I was getting rid of Mitrovic because he has a pain in the rear end. And uh, I was looking at options and basically to get Sadio Mane in for James Madison it meant that I only had 5.3 million left in, in the bank. And, and when you look at the options at 5.3 million, folks does actually stand up as the best option. Unless you think that there's a case for the likes of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which there really isn't. Uh, yeah, I brought folks in. I thought, well, maybe we'll do something against Leicester. Burnley's fixtures are all right. You know, Newcastle and Crystal Palace up next as well. Maybe he'll, he'll get a goal. I think it's probably going to be just a one-week or two-week pump for me. With Mendy injured, it's probably looking like a minus four. So a downgrade on Mendy and an upgrade on Vogue seems like um, the sensible call for me. And I think Jimenez at the moment is looking like the best option for me as a replacement because I don't have to spend too much. Um, I only need an extra 0.4 to, or 0.5 now probably to, to get Jimenez in. And with Wolves fixtures, Huddersfield at home, you know, that's a brilliant fixture. That's why he's proving so popular at the moment because people are seeing, you know, a banker potentially for points. And then after that, Cardiff away, which is another easy fixture. And then it's uh, Chelsea, but after that, Newcastle, Bournemouth. So it's 
a really good run of fixtures. It's just for me, the only thing that I'm looking at is, do I really want to triple up in Wolves? You know, it seems a bit aggressive to, to triple up on a promoted team. But, you know, they're not like any other promoted team, are they? You look at Doherty's stats, for instance, going forward, he's one of the you know, most aggressive defenders in, in the box. And, and Jimenez, like we mentioned, he's, he's looking like really good money for goal attempts. He's four for all forwards with 35 goal attempts, only behind Kane, Mitrovic and Aguero. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Jimenez, again, fits into the landscape of being one of those players you bring in when they have particularly good run of fixtures. Next two do count do count as that. A little bit mixed over Christmas, but between game weeks 24 and 29, I don't play any of the top six teams, so that might be a good time to be looking at him. Uh, you mentioned uh, Jimenez's uh, stats. He's level with Arnautovic at West Ham in terms of attempts over the last six, and Morata as well, who um, had quite a spectacular miss, actually, on international duty with Spain the other day. Arnautovic again, a little, a little bit of doubt over him, but still, uh, still one I think that you definitely be bearing in mind given the fixtures. So I'm not going to talk about him too much. What I'm interested in quickly before we move on to the the spread scorers, as it were, and we will speak about Martial a little bit later on, guys, just in case I've seen a few people mention him already. Are the teams that, as Nick mentioned at the top, you've got Ryan Fraser and you've got Callum Wilson at Bournemouth. You've also got uh, Richarlison. You've got Siggy at Everton. I think it's interesting to just quickly mention these guys. Uh, looking at the two of them, I think with Richarlison, I'm kind of feeling that he's the essential one that Siggy isn't. Now, I know Siggy, in terms of scoring, has started to uh, catch up in recent weeks, but I still think that when you've got an out-of-position striker on your hands, marked as a midfielder in the game, uh, calling, harking back to the, the good old days of um, when... Josh King stole the golden cleric from our hearts and was absolutely phenomenal for Bournemouth. I think it's just it's nice to have one of those out-of-position strikers again who clearly has the talent and the skill to score goals in you know, most games. Uh, so I, I think I'd go for him over Sigurdsson and I wouldn't see going for Sigurdsson over him as some sort of tactical ploy. I would just see that as a fool's errand. Uh, with regards to the Bournemouth pair, I think you've got a far better argument there, especially when there are some other options to look at in that for that third striker slash second striker slot at the moment we've oddly we've gone from at some points last season having basically no viable third striker to having quite a few of them genuinely uh to consider and perhaps then if you don't have wilson or you if you want to get you know your 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 rival doesn't have wilson then yeah that's absolutely a cause to have him instead of let's say ryan frasers but even with them given how well they've played so far this season there has been a cause for doubling up four now I think the fixtures are really turning against Bournemouth over the next while with Arsenal City and Liverpool in their next four games but you never know they uh, they could still keep it up yeah I think um, another one that you didn't mention as well was uh, Felipe Anderson at West Ham who's actually on the same amount of points now as an Altovich and I think he potentially represents another really good option in that midfield but I mean I tend to agree with you there Stag on um, Richarlison I think he definitely looks like the best asset in that Everton midfield. I've had a little bit of experimentation with Everton midfields this season. So as Tom, we had a little bit of a, you know, a go at Wally, which uh, <laughs> didn't work out very well at all. I also owned Sigurdsson at the start of the season um, and he didn't do too much until I sold him when he sort of hit his rich rate vein of form. But he is definitely sort of one of the leading chance creators within the Premiership and he, he's been a quality asset, um, FPL asset for a few seasons now. But I think with Richardson in that sort of out-of-position midfield um, role that he's playing now um, at, at the front of Everton, I think he's definitely um, a really good pick and and probably probably the best of the bunch there. Unfortunately, I don't hone him, but I would like to perhaps um, 
you know, think about how I could fit him into my team. And at 6.9 million currently, he's definitely affordable. And he's playing a similar role to what we saw last season as well with Zaha and Arnautovic that were both classified as midfielders last season as well. And uh, no doubt Richardson will be a forward next season, but we should definitely appreciate him and um, use him as much as possible whilst uh, whilst we can. Obviously, um, for me, I, I had him when he got sent off, but, you know, that's just bad luck. <laughs> it's, it's been sort of bad luck for me all season with midfielders, but, you, you know, you live and learn. Yeah, absolutely. No, I definitely feel I definitely feel it with Richarlison for sure. It feels like he's reaching a level of ownership now. I know it's really boring to say. A lot of people don't like it, but he's definitely reaching a level of ownership now, especially in the engaged manager world. That anything he does contributes to me uh, exceptionally dangerous. In the next three out of four games, they're at home against the against teams they really should be beating. They've got Cardiff at home next, uh, which many people are looking at defenders for, of course. Liverpool game week fourteen, Merseyside derby. Then they've got Newcastle and Watford both at home um, around that kind of crazy uh, crazy four. 15 16 game week so that'll be definitely a time when if you don't own Richarlison you're going to be a little bit worried I think about about not having him uh the Bournemouth pair uh, I do have Ryan Fraser I did sell um Callum Wilson uh for Arnautovic a little while ago you know for two game weeks ago I think it was wasn't it Nick I got rid of him for um and with Ryan Fraser I'm beginning to to look at him a little bit and thinking well I do want Anthony Martial maybe and it was the case of the fixtures begetting the form of Fraser to some extent like if we're really looking at these players as kind of commodities, then maybe we should be thinking, oh, there's no, there's no room for, there's no room for, uh, for sentiment here. Maybe it is a case that I get rid of him. He's got two good games in the net seven, and one of them is Huddersfield at home in game week fifteen, which is sandwiched between Man City and Liverpool. Uh, will he play midweek? Can he do that? I don't know that that great that game kind of screams Stanislas and Ibe to me. Great stats, of course, but they were done in a great run of fixtures. It's a tough choice. So I may kick that one down the road to next week. Shall we move on then uh, to some of the uh, some of the bigger teams and how talisman theory affects them? Uh, so I'm thinking Man City, I'm thinking Chelsea, I'm thinking uh, Liverpool. Obviously, last season Liverpool completely different. Most of the last one percent of all FPL points on his own, uh, which is absolutely crazy. But this season things are a little bit more spread out for these teams. So Aguero, for example, he scored eighteen percent of Man City's uh, non-attacking points. Kane scored nineteen percent of Tottenham's. Most of the last scored twenty-one percent of Liverpool's this year. Eden Hazard actually scored twenty-three percent of of Chelsea. So a little bit kind of more waste towards one man here. But I guess what's the key message do you think with with these guys with these more expensive players that we're going to be less inclined to be moving around? As you say, it is kind of that's the key thing, isn't it? Is that they are more expensive players that were less likely to be moving around, and that kind of very much changes the whole entire perception of them as FPL assets. Because with your talisman type players who are occupying that maybe mid midfield slot or with a mid price midfield slot, like you even illustrated it quite well in the uh, talisman column this week yourself, Tom. How if you'd swap between the three different talisman at the perfect times throughout the season, how many points you would have scored or whatever? So inherent in having them is the idea that you probably hop off them and ditch sentiment a bit like you were just talking about there with Wilson that you throw sentiment to the side whereas with these elite players it's it is about keeping them it is about getting your Raheem Sterling rising uh, you know riding the price rise and having him as a differential when budget starts to tighten on everybody else in the second half of the season and you're able to hold him because you bought him at a cheaper price and I think that's probably the key to an awful lot of these players is how the budget starts to affect teams in the latter half of the season. I think I've felt in the last few years that when when the wild cards came around and the double game weeks came, a lot of the my rivals in mini leagues were able to afford another premium player more than me because they had that extra two million because they held one of these big players sooner. Whereas, for example, last season to just 
continue to give anecdotal evidence. I had Mo Salah and ended up selling him when there was that time around Christmas where he had an injury and he missed like one game week or whatever it was, suffered hugely in terms of team value, like 0.8 or something is what I lost. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it was just complete and utter anarchy from there trying to make up for that uh, for the rest of the season. So in terms of the spread of points to address the question properly, um, I think what you've just got to be conscious of is picking the right player early on. And when you are making that investment to be sure that you're going to want to stick by it. So let's say I've gone with Sterling in the city midfield. That probably means I won't be opening the door to De Bruyne. I probably won't be opening the door to Sané anytime soon. Like the only thing that I could see myself conceivably doing is having to do a move to one of the other elite players to take advantage of fixtures a la Hazard, who is about to come into a pretty decent run. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think um, I think with Manchester City, I think they almost have to be viewed in a completely different light to the other teams in the top six, just because of the sheer amount of points that they've accumulated so far this season. I think it's particularly pertinent. They've actually had 321 non-appearance points, which is uh, nearly 70 above uh, Chelsea, who are second with 254. And that just shows the strength and depth that they have in their current squads. The likes of Sterling, he would be a talisman at any other club. But at Manchester City, Pep can afford to rotate him. He can afford to, you know, have a run of fixtures where he just decides to randomly start playing Sane and Mares and save uh, Sterling for the cup games. And whilst FPL managers will be furious and perhaps Sterling will be a bit peeved off, you know, they still get six goals in every single game comfortably, probably. And I think it's the same with the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, who arguably is one of Manchester City's talisman. You know, he's not been around all season, but it hasn't affected them in any sort of way. They're still, you know, comfortably thrashing every single team they play against. It's like almost like they don't really need him because they've got a, you know, like for like replacement who's performing excellently um, in Bernardo Silva, who's just come in and, you know, smashed it. So I think Manchester City, is, uh, especially whilst we, talk about Aguero being their talisman and he's key to sort of our FPL teams he's one of our key assets it could easily be the case that you know Gabriel Jesus suddenly starts performing better in training and Aguero is is inexplicably dropped for for a couple of home games and uh, you know the managers will be screaming blue murder whilst we've I guess you know some of the other clubs Spurs you're not going to see Harry Kane dropped anytime soon. He's always going to be playing at number nine. You know, Lorente maybe knocking on Pochettino's door, but Pochettino's pretending like he's not in the office. So I think you see that a lot with Harry Kane. He's he's very key to them. He's, he's the main man. He's going to play every single game. Same with Chelsea, Eden Hazard. Chelsea in particular as well, because they're in the Europa League. You know, Hazard did play the last game as he was sort of recovering from injury, but he's not going to be wasted to sort of on one of those fixtures. He's going to be saved for the Premier League, which is the main league that, you know, the manager's focused on at this moment in time. He doesn't probably doesn't care too much about the Europa League and how Chelsea perform in that. So Hazard is their talisman and he won't be rested. You won't, unless he's injured, he'll play every single Premier League game this season, I'd imagine. And like I said, it's the same with Kane. Whilst with Manchester City, you'll see more rotation. Liverpool, to a certain extent, they do have a little bit of flexibility, but you're still going to probably see Salah play when he's fit, unless it's what against, you know, a really easy game or something or he's got a knock. Yeah, I think so. I think at the end of the day, because of the high price, these are the players which carry the highest kind of psychological risk in some ways to get rid. Even though you have, sticking with Harry Kane, for example, he does look like he's coming back to some vestige of form. So over the last six, for example, he's had the same number of attempts as Aguero. 
at the same time, we've got to look at the fixtures coming up. For example, as is well vaunted, um, game week 15 onwards, they don't play any uh, team in the top six until game week 21. So it's a very good run of fixtures over Christmas. Came the 90-minute man. But you have to make sacrifices. It's not the case that the money is just resting in your account ready to be moved on to Harry Kane. You're going to have to be removing someone like Mo Salah. You're going to have to be uh, making a high-stakes gamble to get him in. I think that that is what is a little bit risky about these guys, and that's what is a bit scary about moving them on, right? Yeah, like I think the one thing as well that maybe it's just a good time to shoehorn it into the discussion is with those Liverpool and Spurs assets, particularly since you mentioned it there about the fixtures, is that they actually have very tough fixtures outside of the Premier League and they're both both Spurs, the, uh, the only place to watch the Champions League in London this season. Um, and Liverpool both have very a very tough set of fixtures ahead of them, games that they have to win in order to seal their own progressions in the Champions League, which is pretty key to their, I guess, their overall objectives for the whole entire season. So whilst Spurs do have a good run of fixtures, that's interspersed with uh, crucial games against Barcelona. There's a there's a North London derby as well in the cup, I yeah. believe. There was yeah, that great post Arsenal, earlier yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. You've that, you've, you, there was that great post on Twitter about them. And then Liverpool, likewise, don't have it easy either. Like They have a game against PSG coming up, another game against Napoli as well to contend with. In the midst of, uh, there's also a game against Man United that... They're going to have to hold those big players for those big games and you may actually see a little bit more resting and rotation than you might expect in the Premier League because of those games or at least you'll see fatigue taking its toll if there isn't rotation. Uh, I, don't, I don't know whether it's the case of Kane that he's just going to be flogged the whole time. I mean, Nick, Nick was a little bit more cynical about Lorente getting game time. I don't know. The fixes are good enough, aren't they, that um, he could feasibly play somebody else, but I can't imagine Harry Kane being very happy with sitting on the bench in the Premier League. No, um, I can't imagine that. I mean, Christmas is great. Yeah, that's, that's what you have to hope for, a little bit of a run of form for, for Harry Kane, because at the moment he's sort of been an F- FPL non-entity, really, at his, at his price, unfortunately. I think with um, with Spurs run, I know you were thinking about him um, come game week 16 because they've got a great run of fixtures, but then also do Arsenal and Aubameyang's another really good option, I think, going forward for the sort of the summer. I guess he is um, he's an interesting case because he has been starting on, on the bench and not been playing that number nine role, but he's still been, you know, smashing it. And I think he's definitely another premium option that we should be considering. Yeah, when it when it happens, at least. Okay, so it sounds like we've got a kind of a, a set of guys that we're kind of occasionally moving and dotting around between. We have kind of a more expensive set of guys who play for the better teams that we're maybe going to be needing a lot, a bit of a nudge to really move on. And at the very kind of bottom end of the spectrum, we have our non-entities as talisman. We have our uh, Martin Dubravkas. We have our uh, our Schindlers at Huddersfield. Interestingly, uh, Solomon Rondon is in with a chance of being the the talisman for Newcastle. I'm very I got very close, so I'm not going to be uh, interested in him. Um, I guess the reality of these sorts of teams, um, just a few examples for you. Uh, these are guys, uh, as I've mentioned, like uh, like Dubravka um, slash Rondon. You've got Efferidge being the uh, the main talisman for Cardiff, whose penalty saves. Schindler's got 29% of Huddersfield's non-appearance points. They've only scored 41 of those. And uh, you've got other players like oh, James Madison as well at Leicester, 18% of their... Uh, of their non-appearance points, a very spread out team there. And uh, you suspect with no Jamie Vardy or Jamie Vardy not being informed, that's kind of why. With these guys, are they just enablers or um, do they serve any other purpose? Do you think that a talisman will suddenly emerge from these kinds of teams, uh, Nick? 
I think it is early days with these teams, but I think the trend has been set that they're not going to be high scorers and, you know, the, the goalkeepers are talisman for a reason. I think it's a case of you're looking at these teams, they're two, two completely different types of sheep. You know, Huddersfield, there's just there's just no one there. The forward line are terrible with Mounier and Depoitre and they're, they're just not producing any chances at all. You know, if you've perhaps got Phil Billing as a sort of 4.5 million hero that might assert himself and had a couple of crackers from you know the midfield line and um, hitting the crossbar but you know there's there's no one really there that's, that's sort of appealing to to anyone at all unless you're you know scraping the barrel for a cheap defender and I think it's the same with, with Newcastle obviously Rondon he might be he's stepping up his game finally after all these years and but you know he's still sort of very peripheral to our to our sort of FPL visions right now um, and yeah same with I guess unfortunately the, the Burnley assets as well you know, there's Goodmanson in midfield. He's potentially a decent option. Um, but, you know, he's not someone that I would be recommending sort of to my friends right now. Yeah, I can, I can only really echo that sentiment, really. Like, there's none of them are players. None of them have players who are really standing out. The FPL totals really do kind of illustrate just how balanced they are in terms of attacking. Of course, Leicester have um, the emotional talisman, uh, Ricardo Pereira, but that's not quite the same as the FPL points talisman that uh, you guys are actually looking for. So I think overall it really is just maybe a wait and see if Rondon flourishes. Let's see what happens with Madison. Maybe he kicks on again and rediscovers some of that earlier form we saw. And let's see what happens with Vardy when he is back as well. Cool. Right. Well, I think basically that that's basically what I think all we have to say really on this on this kind of area. I think mostly it is focusing on those teams where at the moment it's mid-price forwards, but where you do have those players in those positions which are a bit more interchangeable, perhaps being, in my view, a bit more ruthless with them. Uh, on the article, there are a few kind of forecasts for players who you maybe should be looking at over certain periods that we've uh, used a, a little bit of a, a rolling average to work out. And we Yeah, uh, some food for thought there, and, and thanks very much, guys. Uh, we'll take a break there and we'll move on to the features. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Um, Kennedy or something like that. You could be thinking about Bropotus or something like that. Yes. Then maybe yeah, you, I can see, I can just see your eyes. Just... <laughs> what? Who's that guy? <laughs> right. Um... Did, did you did you hear that on uh, the fan feud uh, or the uh, three amigos a few weeks back? I really uh, got Donica briefly. I was delighted. Yeah. <laughs> it was like who? <laughs> just for anyone who wants to know what the hell we're talking about, Kennedy, uh, Barry Potus, is because Kennedy's actual first name is Robert. Robert Kennedy, uh, JFK's brother, was the brother of the president, brother of Protus, Protus Kennedy. Yeah, it's not funny if you have to explain it, is it? Like with most jokes. Right. You um, need to explain um, it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it just jumps out at you, doesn't it? Right. Um, shall, we, uh, shall we get cracking again then? So we'll move on to our feature section. Uh, this is our regular kind of section uh, where we go through three main things, which are the market forces, updating you guys on the Zombie League, and doing our All England team and telling you how they're getting on. Uh, we're not going to speak a score them because, you know, Stag's on every pod, so you already know all about him. His worst habit is talking, um, which probably is good for him that he's on the pod, to be honest. Right, um... <laughs> The first thing is market forces. This is our section where we, uh, Nick in particular, use our FPL NTI data to describe the moves and shakers in the transfer market. I mentioned earlier that Jimenez is the top guy in. Um, what else have you been seeing, Nick? 
Yeah, so Raul Jimenez is, is leading the way in terms of the market forces this game week. Over 130,000 transfers in. And it's not, you know, it's not a flurry of activity after sort of eight days of no football. But, you know, with, with Wolves' fixtures, Huddersfield, Cardiff, Chelsea, Newcastle, Bournemouth, and that, that kindly price of 5.8, a lot of people are looking at Jimenez. I mean, he's only scored three goals so far. It's not particularly impressive. But he is creating chances as well, five assists so far, and he is looking like the leading man in that Wolves team currently. So I think uh, he definitely re- he definitely represents a decent option up front, and it's one that I'm looking at myself as well. Um, but otherwise, we've also got um, Anthony Martial as the uh, second most transferred in player at the moment. As uh, as we mentioned, he is the Manchester United talisman at the moment. And he's on a really good run of form, at least in terms of FPL points. Um, he got 13 points against Newcastle, 15 against Chelsea, 9 against Everton, 10 against Bournemouth, 7 against Manchester City. And now has six goals and an assist to his name. And um, he is playing up, up front as well at the moment uh, with Lukaku injured. So he's out of position and looks like a really good way of um and quite cheap way actually of, of covering the manchester united team at only 7.6 million as a midfielder but there remains that question is he overperforming yet which i think um we're going to cover a little bit later otherwise it's all about the defenders so mendy's injured 165,000 transfers out and trippier also has a knock with over 162,000 transfers out. So everyone who owns Mendy, a lot of the people who own Trippier as well, are selling them. And uh, yeah, in terms of the uh, the defensive options, I think we're probably going to cover this in the question a little bit later. But the ones in terms of the market forces that are driving the most attention actually are the, are the Liverpool lads, um, Robertson and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. So Robertson's actually risen now to 6.5 million. So he represents quite an expensive outlay for a defender now, but he has been performing brilliantly this season. I've had him since the start of the season. He's been fantastic for me. He picked up another assist and three bonus points against Fulham at home. And uh, Liverpool have a you know really good run of fixtures. Watford, Everton, Burnley, Bournemouth. And um, yeah, I think he's a really good option. But Trent Alexander-Arnold, if you want to save 1.5 million, you can get in TAA. And he's a... Uh, I think he's a really good pick as well, to be honest. For 1.5 million cheaper, he's been on set pieces. Um, he's, he's quite attacking as well, creating lots of chances. But the question remains, oh, is, is Lovren going to get more game time? Is, is Gomez going to be shuttled onto the, the right-hand side? And is TAA, TAA going to miss out occasionally? No, definitely. You've also got your man uh, Van Dyke scoring a fantastic goal for, for Holland just now. Uh, 27,000 transfers in. Um Probably going to be the 90-minute man in that Liverpool defence, isn't he, over time? But I'm not too surprised that people are casting around for a Mendy replacement. Uh, Maguire, one that I forgot even existed, has been sold by 75,000 people, which is quite interesting. And Lacazette's been gotten rid of by 55,000. Uh, Laporte is the other guy who's been brought in uh, for Mendy, of course, 86,000 people. I think it, I think it must be all those um, sort of England fans that have suddenly logged into their FPL teams over the international breaks and seen that Maguire and Trippier are injured and then got rid of them for the likes of men, uh, likes of Laporte and Robertson. Yeah, I guess they're not going home. Right, uh, Stad, <laughs> do any of those uh, any of those transfers surprise you or affect you in any way? Not particularly, actually. What stood out to me was the fact that uh, Ricardo Pereira has uh, just under two thousand more transfers in than Ben Chilwell. Um, for and he is zero point one cheaper. 
that pretty much stood out to me. Otherwise, it's it really is as you were, isn't it? It's pretty predictable what's going on in the market at the moment. By far and away, the two biggest moves that are happening are a lot of transfers in for Jimenez and quite an awful lot of them for uh, Anthony Martial. And then an interesting, I guess, given his price, an interesting amount of activity with Sergio Aguero as well. There isn't anything too fascinating, but I guess it's kind of mad to see 26,000 extra transfers in for Pickford as well. That's a lot for a goalkeeper, I would imagine. I don't know if you're picking me a game. That would be the England crowd again. Yeah, it's the same. Big George. Big George, you know, putting a performance against USA. (laughs) The only interesting one that I could pick out was Doherty, who's been bought by 36,000 and sold by 31. So NCI plus five. Um, But I suspect when we get more news on him, uh, he'd be wearing kind of a a, a Pedro-esque mask, Doc of Zorro or something like that. Right, uh, let's move on to the zombies then. Uh, this is our uh, no chips, no transfers uh, league uh, with teams that we made at the start of the season, or I should say our unspecified family members made at the start of the season and uh, have just been left to run as ghost ships over the course of the year. Nick, how have your zombies been doing? How'd they do this week? Um, so it was actually a green arrow for them. They got 52 points, which um, isn't it's not a high scoring uh, game week for them, but somehow managed a green arrow. There's another case of Michael Keane turning up for them, uh, David Luis as well. Um, Mares and Kane got um, five points each, and, and Captain Salah, um, the main people that, that brought the game, uh, brought the points in this game week. We're still undergoing a bit of an injury crisis with the likes of Vitonian injured and, and the likes of Bailly as well, not playing. How about yourself, yeah. Tom? How are your how are your shambling zombies doing this game week? Oh, the shambles of zombies, I suppose, is probably the better way of putting it. It's, I've I've got your man Ricardo Pereira stag. He got me a nine pointer, which I was very happy about. As Piliqueta of a six, then me got a clean sheet. Other than that, absolutely nothing. Captain Aubameyang did got appearance, and nothing else. Yeah, not very good. Um, only uh, only 34 points for them. How many points do your zombie teams have overall? Sorry to blind, blindside you with a question. Oh, I logged in, I've logged i logged into my one for the first time. I'll, I'll give oh, you a chance to get your rank while you're looking. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Over, overall, mine has got 496 points, which is absolutely diabolical. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I have 566. Oh, okay. Mine, mine are on 611. So. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. About 2.1 million overall rank right now. It's very interesting to see like what my mindset was on game week one in that my team has Salah, Mkhitaryan, it's Aubameyang who's captain, it has him and all right. Um, I do have Laporte. Uh, De Bruyne is just sitting there on the bench eternally. And I have De Gea in goals. And of course, Man United have they only got one clean sheet so far this season. Yep. I've got, yeah, I've got an yeah. example of failed talisman theory with Diego Yotta in my team. <laughs> not doing very much at all. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did you get this week then, Stag? Just this week, I had 39 points. So, um, pretty impressive stuff there. No, it's, I think it's just interesting to see how far away we've moved from uh, the start of the season. Thinking, well, that'd be a great team. So, I th- yeah, I think I think what my zombie team represented was me picking the opposite of what I picked for my game week one team. If that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, whichever striker I went for, let's say I think it was Aguero. I was like, right, okay, fine. Then it's a Bamiang in this team and that sort of thing, and it hasn't worked out. In the zombie league itself, it's it's all changed. The very top is Zombie Land with MP seven hundred and fifty nine points. This guy's got so he hasn't touched his team throughout the course of the season. He's uh, ranked fifty six k, which isn't that bad at all. Players such as Mo Salah and uh, Andy Robertson are about doing the business. And Bernardo Silva getting him ten points in second. It's Zombie Mango Rob Hayes of fifty nine falling down to third. Last week's uh, leader Marino Boring thirty eight weeks later with just forty three. Yeri Mina came on and got uh, first points from him last this year. Uh, in fourth it's at Blue Carefree Navin uh, sixty three points. Uh, Hazard captaincy throughout the course of the season didn't go too well this week, but having Robertson and TAA as a double up at the back went supremely well for him. 
and uh, finally running up the top five. Uh, it's a, a four to fifth for, for Zombie Storehole. That's Thomas Storehole. Just 35 points. Another Aubameyang captain like me, but only able to field 10 men after injuries to uh, Tompkins, uh, Madison and Bednarek, who didn't play at all. The final thing this week is the All England team. Obviously, they're doing very well in the Nations League. Not so well in FPL. Uh, 41 points for them. Uh, TAA at the back, their biggest kind of scorer. Captain Kane came through with an assist. But other than that, it was blanks galore. Walker, Barkley, Milner, Josh Murphy and Glenn Murray are some of the key culprits for that. They're doing okay. They are 1.5 million, so not doing that amazingly. Right, uh, let's take a break there and we'll go on to the community section in just a minute. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist Mini League. If you want to join the league, our league code is 516-441. So, um, yes, yeah, so the top of the league this game week, it's still uh, Guy Guy with uh, Vinaldium Levio Salah with 70 points, which is a pretty decent um, score for the game week. Um, he's now totaling 896. So, yeah, it was a game week rank of 98k. So that's, that's really good because it's quite a low scoring game week. And in terms of overall rank, he's now at seventh. He's now seventh in the world, which is, you know, absolutely brilliant. He's in for a chance of winning the whole thing at the moment. Um, yeah, and, you know, he's got the usual culprits uh, scoring the points. She, had, she went for the uh, double Chelsea defence, which perhaps was the differential this game week with Alonso and David Luiz, eight pointer and nine pointer. Robertson with 12, Fraser, Salah, Aguero, um, his main point givers. And uh, he actually benched Jimenez, though, for the six-pointer. But uh, he'll probably be playing him next game week. So he's set up well for next game week. Um, there's a few people, though, challenging him. Um, Iron Laddies, Kirk Goodwin, still doing very well with 63 points this game week. Captain Salah, also in Robertson and Alonso. Aguero and Fraser, same scorers as my team, but he's doing much better than me. Um in third, it's uh, Marwan El Manwi uh, with Odin Force 5000 XL, scored the same as Kurt, uh, but he's uh, 13 points behind Kurt at the moment, but still doing very well um, overall. He's actually he's 53rd in the world right now, so yeah, doing brilliantly. Um, and then making up the uh, top five or, or top six, so to speak, is uh, Kater Moyhart, Ashley Humphrey with a 64-pointer. He's only one point behind Marwin. And then um, two people sort of joint fifth on 856 points. We've got the Coyote kids, Matt Frisky and Uruguay, Errol Ravindran, who got 67 points this game week. So so well done, guys. Um, all of those, uh, you know, all the top 10, all the top 50, all smashing it so far this season, having a brilliant season. I think um, in terms of the guy who's uh, 50th at the moment in the in the league, he's actually ranked 1,614th in the world. So lots of people doing really well in the league, which is brilliant. Yeah, nice one. Well done, guys. Just to mention, uh, the FPL Christmas London meetup is on the 14th of December. So we and MathSafe FPL, uh, Peter Blake, invite you to this year's one. It's 7pm at the Marlebone Sports Bar and Grill, just outside Marlebone Station. Do let us know if you can come, either by email or uh, replying to the Twitter. I'll retweet that at some point. Right, let's move on to the questions this week, guys. I only got a few of them. I think they're probably going to be fairly predictable. Uh, the first one actually is a bit of a different one to normal, which is one that I actually asked on Twitter just because I was getting more and more interested in what people's view on it. Um, Anthony Martial is, is what it's all about people on one side of uh, the coin are saying oh he's in form I'm definitely getting him in on the other hand you have people saying oh he's overperforming I- I'm not going to buy that guy 
like what is the difference between the two i was genuinely quite interested in this and hearing people's opinions because i was beginning to think it just depends on how you frame it indeed ffs joe when he responded said this is very simple overperforming applies to informed players that i don't own and inform applies to overperforming players that i do own um quite a few really uh, very good responses along those lines um a particular one that i really like was mr james hadari the underlying stats good plus returns good equals inform underlying stats bad plus returns good equals overperforming underlying stats good plus returns bad equals underperforming and underlying stats bad plus returns bad equals out of form so an interesting one uh, just to talk about quickly especially in terms of uh, anthony martial if we can just to give us a little bit of a touchstone what is the difference between overperforming and inform well, I think when, when we talk about overperforming in an FPL perspective, we're talking about high scoring players that perhaps don't quite deserve all the points that they're getting. I think particularly in the last game week, I think Martial was quite lucky to return points. I think owners were quite lucky that, that Edison decided to go for a ridiculous challenge and uh, give away a penalty because I don't think Martial was looking... For, from watching the game, Martial wasn't looking very impressive. He wasn't creating a lot of chances. He wasn't getting forward too often. Manchester City were dominating that game, yet Martial still returned with a return. And I think uh, in terms of Martial's performances, he's, he's definitely been smashing it, all see, um, especially in the last five, six game weeks. If you owned him, if you brought him in six game weeks, you'd be laughing right now because you'd have seen sort of several, you know, you've seen so many returns in a row. But when you look at Martial's actual underlying stats, he, he's not quite up there in terms of goal threat compared to some of the other players out there. I mean, in terms of his numbers, like he's only had 14 goal attempts, which is the same as the likes of Will Hughes. It's the same as the likes of um, Decore at uh, Watford. And it's, it's less than the likes of Kovacic and Pritchard. So, you know, it's not particularly great underlying stats in terms of actual uh, big chances. Um, it's ten, He's had 10 shots inside the box. So it's a little bit more than some of those other players that I just mentioned who've been taking a few, few more pot shots, but still less than the likes of you know, Antonio and uh, William at Chelsea and uh, Lamella at Spurs and Josh Murphy as well. So I think um, from my perspective, Martial, I think he is a very good option. Um, he's out of position at Manchester United, playing up front. He's very nicely priced. Manchester United also have some pretty decent fixtures. Palace, Southampton, Arsenal, Fulham. I think he's definitely not. I definitely think he's someone to consider in your midfield and I would definitely not say don't get him in I'd probably recommend him if you're looking at players around that price he's he's one of the main picks but I'm just saying I think for me he's, he's been a little bit lucky in terms of the returns he's got compared to his um, attacking output okay well, in the overall sense of things I completely agree with that and that he has been a little bit fortunate in some of the weeks particularly that Man City game and that United whilst they were getting back into the game they weren't creating true chances and so look they got fortunate and got that penalty and he may not even have taken that penalty had Pogba been on the pitch, etc. So there's an awful lot of luck that was involved there. But I think what with players like Martial, people forget that it's okay to be a player who shoots sparingly. In that, okay, in the last four game weeks, he has scored five times from twelve goal attempts, from eight goal, from only eight attempts in the box. But that's not necessarily a bad thing either. Like he is a player that we always associated with being quite clinical, and. 
I, I think people need to measure it up that there are different types of players too and not to forget what that is and that I don't think you can attach these fairly simplistic equations like the ones that you listed off there earlier to every single player and expect that they stick the same way. And that a player like Mo Salah, as we all know, because he always loses his bonus points because he's always making a note of attempts. Whereas the likes of Danny Ings is probably the complete contrast to that, where he does nothing but, you know, take his shots that usually end at least at least end up going on target and he isn't as wasteful. And so he finds his way into the bonus points when he gets a goal, whereas Salah obviously doesn't. Martial is probably in that Ings category except coming from midfield. And I think that's what makes him that little bit more interesting. That said, he is playing for Man United and United have been struggling in terms of just pure creativity. Martial has created chances for himself in some in, for himself in some ways by just being the sort of class player that he is. However, he has built up time uh, now and he has shown that he is in form uh, by my metric, which is a completely subjective thing. There is no real test to it. So with that in mind, I think that, yeah, Martial is definitely someone you should be considering. Yeah, I kind of think the difference is between black and very, very, very dark blue in terms of how we compare these two words, isn't it, really? There is obviously the the way you focalise it, which is that it's easier psychologically to say, oh, this player's overperforming, I'm not going to be interested in him. But I think it's every manager's worst nightmare, isn't it, that you transfer a player in when he's been doing very well and then he starts blanking. And you've got a few few kind of cautionary tales, don't we, of of players like, you know, Barkley this year springs to mind as being a player who was doing really well for a little while. People transferred him in and then suddenly he just dried dried up. Um, But I think essentially... Like you want players who are, for however you measure it, blazing a trail at the moment. Like it's Gambler's fallacy. You kind of think, oh, he's got to stop scoring soon. Sometimes you do see the players that they do stop scoring. Other times, the names that we've mentioned at the very top, you know, Mares, Michu, Josh King in the second half, 16, 17. These are players who, like for whatever reason, did sustain that form. And to some extent, the fixtures do back that up. Like you do have, as Nick mentioned, a, a few decent ones in the immediate term. But the ones that redrew my uh, draw my eye, and maybe why you know I leave it and kick the can down a little bit, are that between game weeks eighteen and uh, twenty five, they only play Tottenham of the top six, and that run also takes in the away game uh, against Cardiff and home games against Huddersfield, Bournemouth, Brighton, and Burnley. So if he does feasibly keep continuing to perform over this kind of next period, obviously if he's injured, this is all moot, but. If he does continue to perform, by that point, he could be 8.1, 8.2. And you end up with a situation, like you were saying, with Stag having Sterling early and people who want to buy him later having to pay that a bit more. Like The reason I'm looking at maybe removing Fraser for him now, although it may seem a bit contentious on paper, is that kind of idea that maybe Fraser's time has has gone and maybe it's time to look at somebody else. I'm not sure whether I'll do that this week. It's a big decision. I may want to kick back down the road. But there's definitely a case of Martial, especially to be looking at him and thinking, well, he is a young player who's now emerging and has the trust of his manager and is playing like where we will be wanting him to play. He's not you know, a 10, 11 million player. It's, it's a fa- it's fairly low risk of that category because there's a lot of people you can move around if he if it doesn't work out for whatever reason. But yeah, I, I do quite like Martial. Um, I'm really thinking about it. And if he does, if Mourinho basically says, I was speaking to BNM and I know Maldonado about this on our Slack, like if Mourinho does, does do a no negative on him, if he doesn't mention him as being part of the injured party, then I'll have a big decision to make on Friday. But I think that's a, it's definitely one that I'm I'm looking at and thinking, like with Arnautovic, jumping on him just a week or two early. Like if he does score against Crystal Palace, that'll be it. Like everyone will jump on. So why not get those points myself quickly while I can with two free transfers? 
Yeah, and the, you know, for the for the doubters in Martial as well, just one quick thing to add. You know, for those who are doubting it, there is a very perfectly square bit of dirt on the window for them, and that Martial overperforming versus his stats isn't necessarily new a new thing for us. Like Adam Halpcraft had a very good tweet uh, just earlier today, Monday, saying pointing out that over the last five seasons, including this season, Martial has overperformed versus expected goals by fifty five percent. So okay, we're we're way above fifty five percent overperformance at the moment, given he scored six goals off two point four one expected goals. But that said, he is a player who tends to outperform his stats anyway, which is what a good striker does. Like the, the other players who join him in that list, for example, are Eden Hazard at uh, 39% and Harry Kane just to pick a selective other one as uh, plus 18%. So I think dismissing again maybe this is going back to my idea of you can't just attach the same idea of form to every player is that Martial is a player who tends to outperform expect his stats compared to other players. Yeah, exactly. I just think the word overperforming has taken on a negative spin, and maybe it shouldn't. Maybe it is just a statement of fact that the player is overperforming, and that's not a bad thing. Right, uh, moving on to the next big question, which is, of course, Mendy replacements. We've had lots of questions about this, been rumbling for a while. You know, lots of different examples have been given. Uh, Will Bill asked about Chilwell. But a very good question on this came from Alex Ball, who asked if the fact is with Mendy, we've now got an opportunity to start to get smaller at the back and start to move the money forward. Is it a good time to have Alonso and Robertson as are two big guys and pushing the money forward looking at TA or something in terms of Mendy replacements guys what are you looking at and how are you looking to kind of move from this point I know Stag you don't have him so it's more of a it's more of a kind of what you'd be advising owners to do but Nick you've got Mendy what are you thinking of doing with him and so yeah I'm, I'm a bit annoyed to be honest that he's injured it wasn't I was going to hold him I know a few people and there was a bit of a debate about whether people are going to be selling him anyway I was definitely going to be holding here with Manchester City's next three they were quite appetising and um, West Ham Bournemouth Watford before it's Chelsea and Everton so one player I was thinking about swapping Mendy out for was Laporte um, unfortunately for me he's a little bit too expensive he's now gone up to 6.0 and if I want Laporte I can't do my uh, Vokes to Jimenez move because I can't afford Jimenez so um, Laporte is out the question personally for me though I still think he, he represents a really good um, sort of swap you know some people may consider it a bit of a sideways move but Manchester City have been defensively very solid this season you know aside from a couple of um, you know poor decisions giving away penalties in the last couple of games by Edison, you know, they've kept so many clean sheets and that's a testament to their defence, seven clean sheets. It could have been nine had it not been for a couple of scrappy moves by Edison giving away penalties. So I think Laporte, um, who's been ever-present in that Manchester City team as well, is a very good option. The other one I was thinking about and I'm a bit more nervous about bringing him in was John Stones. Uh, So Stones has actually um, played five games in a row now for Manchester City. He seems to have um, nailed down that slot as Laporte's uh, defensive partner. But you never know with... um, You never know with Pep. Pep might suddenly say, oh, it's time to give Nicholas Otamendi, um, you know, a chance. He's got a tendon injury at the moment. He's 75%. But um, he did play game week five to game week seven uh, earlier on in the season against Fulham, Cardiff and Brighton. So Otamendi might suddenly get his run of fixtures or maybe even Vincent Company. You know, he's the captain. He he seems to be the, uh, at the beginning of the season, he played a couple of games in a row. He seems to be the, one of the, you know, first choice defenders. So that's what makes me a little bit nervous about John Stones as an option, even though I, I you know, I really like him. Um, the other players I'm looking at, I'm looking at Dine, <laughs> much to uh, 
the, maybe I'm being a bit of a sheep as we keep talking about sheep today. Uh, perhaps I'm being a little bit of a sheep looking at Dine, but his stats are brilliant. You know, in terms of chances created, he's had 20 uh, chances created. That's very high. You know, that's almost as high as uh, Mr. Hollabaz, who's had 21 um, chances created so far. So I think uh, Dine is a very good option. So he's, he's creating a lot of chances. But he's also getting a, quite a few goal attempts, actually, um, on the slide. He's at 11 goal attempts, which is, you know, one of the highest in the league for defenders. So he's, he seems like a really good option at four point eight, and uh, it would be a good way for me to cover Everton, considering that I don't have Richarlison in my team for those um, relatively nice fixtures against Cardiff, Newcastle, Watford, and when they do play Liverpool, uh, as Todd mentioned um, on Twitter, um, AWB has Burnley, so I could easily swap Dina out and play um, AWB in that game week. Um, Aaron Wambasaka, so I think he's an option. Finally, um, I just wanted to mention Leicester as well. I know uh, Stag's a big fan of uh, Ricardo Pereira, and he's actually a player that I've been looking at myself for uh, bringing in. But um, I'm actually at the moment preferring his teammate Chilwell, who's who's 0.1 million more expensive. Uh, Chilwell's uh, created double the amount of chances that Pereira has. Chilwell's had 15 chances created so far compared to Pereira's uh, seven. And in terms of goal attempts, Chilwell's had eight compared to Pereira 7. So pretty similar in terms of goal attempts, but Chilwell seems to be creating a few more chances. Got an assist for England as well um, at the weekend. At the weekend, And uh, seems to be, um, you know, one of those players that's improving um, as the season goes on. So you see someone I'm definitely looking at. The Leicester's fixtures, who've got Brighton, Watford and Fulham up next. You just love left-backs called Ben, don't you, Nick? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's probably the only reason. Um, all right, uh, I guess uh, Stag, you go first actually. What, what would you advise people be looking at at least at this point? I know obviously you don't own him, but abstract, yeah. Even though I, I don't own him, I kind of I mentally did because he was he was pretty much in my team in my own head until he suddenly got injured, and then that there he got has operation, and suddenly he just I just kind of had to like change my plan. So I guess I kind of came up against the same problem, and then I'm I was making that defensive transfer soon anyway, so. For me, it's all about Ederson, really, um, for that Manchester City coverage, and then that allows you to downgrade in City. Uh, as Nick alluded to, there's an awful lot of uncertainty in there amongst the City defenders, or else it's just expense. Uh, neither of which, to be honest, I'm too keen on bringing into my team at this moment. So, with Dina in mind, I I think I'm just determined not to be a sheep, and so I just haven't actually really considered him strongly, even though Everton have clearly show themselves to be tightening up a small bit at the back and so with that in mind I guess it's um your man who has 17 caps for the Vatican over 75 looks after himself drinks only the very fine wine he can climb two flights of stairs unattended and he's only one nun to help him get out of the chair that is of course Vinagre of Wolves who is coming in to replace Johnny after his injury uh, if you haven't got Doherty I do have Doherty but still if you wanted to double up on those Wolves defenders with a pretty decent set of fixtures coming in I think Vinagre could be a pretty good option there at 4.3 he saves you an awful lot of money to invest in midfield and that kind of perhaps opens up the hazard problem that I was so keen to sort out yeah well you better hope he plays or people are going to be salty with you <laughs> um, so um, yeah, um, <laughs> so I'll get my coat I'm out of it um, no, in, interesting now I'm an Edison owner very happy Edison owner um, obviously if you can stop giving away stupid penalties that would be great um, but their um, expected goals conceded is, is really low um, and over the course of the Christmas period I'd be expecting them to racking up, rack up clean sheets wherever like you know the, the difficult away games they've had where they've gotten clean sheets just show that you've got a decent chance of clean sheet in any game Edison's ceiling is probably around the same as Laporte's uh, on I mean Laporte could score he 
attempts are okay, but at the end of the day, you're there, you're getting him in for for a kind of a baseline of six points, and that's what Edison provides. Except he's not going to be rotated because Claudio Bravo's injured. Um, with that in mind, then Mendy does go down. It's where he goes down to. So Digne, obviously, flavour of the month for a lot of people. Michael Keane has been showing up in the shots uh, in the box throughout the course of the season. He hasn't had a single shot outside the box. But there is one man who I am looking at, Falbuena, or Bulbasaur, as we've been calling him on our Slack. Yeah, I mean, 4.4 plays for West Ham. You're not going to be expecting clean sheets really every week for them. And I don't think I'll be playing him every week, but he's got the fixtures where if he comes off the bench, that's absolutely great. Um, over the last six game weeks, he is top, uh, or joint top with Doherty for, for attempts. All 10 of them have been in the box. Eight of them have been headers. He's having a shot every 54 minutes. With the fixtures looking as good as they are, after Man City, they've got a great run until game week 22. They don't play any teams in the top six. He could definitely free up the money for me to then buy, you know, buy him and is that right uh, for, uh, for 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 success up front? So yeah, quite a lot that I can mess around with there. But yeah, I do quite like the kind of cheapening down and going a bit smaller at the back to afford uh, more money going forward. Next question then: advice differentials is a fairly interesting one. So Bob at One Green Arrow asked if people chasing for, um, from the lower ranks should see and interpret advice differently to those at the top. Uh, Stag, what do you think about this first off? See, what I think Bob needs to keep in mind is that we've only had 12 game weeks. There's a huge amount of the season left to go. I think we've seen the template shift pretty well a few times already this season. I would say after the last international break, there was very, very, a very definite switch in the template. And I would argue it's kind of coming again. We've seen kind of the big at the back thing kind of collapse and then kind of reform again. I think it's kind of fallen to shreds again a little bit lately. Uh, aside from um, a few decent performances from Robertson kind of coming through. So what I think what players in Bob's position um, or where you were last season or where I was too, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, Tom, is that you just need to be a little bit more patient and just have your one or two differentials. It's your, it's have your educated guess or educated move like Raheem Sterling was a few weeks back for a lot of us. Um, it, and then having blocking tactics for the likes of Hazard when the f- good fixtures come through. Make sure you don't get yourself caught out rank-wise because you're going chasing points. Again, maybe it boils back to what we were talking about with Richardson and Siggy earlier. It's just like, I don't think you should look at these things as binary choices where everyone's going that direction, so I'm going to go the other way. Because more often than not, you're probably going to be wrong. And even if you get it 50-50 right, you probably haven't gained any ground. So in the end of the day, it just wasn't worth it. So I think really, like FPL really does boil down to your your final three players on the pitch, very rarely your first eight in terms of winning up ranks amongst active players. And so with that in mind, I don't think you should be going too crazy uh, with trying to interpret advice differently or just trying to be uh, somewhat against the advice for the sake of it. When you look at the mini leagues and when I sort of do my updates, it's quite tough because I talk about the sort of the guys in top five and I'm saying, oh, these these were their key players. You know, they got points from Salah, they got points from Alonso, they got points from Robertson. And it's and it's the same each game week. They got points from Fraser. And I think, actually, I've got all these guys. I'm getting the same points as these guys, but I'm not sort of getting anywhere near the top at all. And I think if you really want to sort of make a real punts for it and you want to take a gamble then perhaps you could go for some differentials but it is very risky if you go for those differentials if you say actually i'm, I'm not going to have eden hazard you know it's probably a bad example for this season but it was a good example for last season with tom i'm going to bring in alexis sanchez and and think that sanchez is going to be a decent captain pick for manchester united's game it's, it's not going to work out you know template up you know the likes of alonso are in everyone's team for a reason he's on 86 points 
and you know you may be stubborn and think actually i'm not going to own this guy i'm, I'm going to try and cover him by by getting in um you know david luis or aspel equator but then you'll be sort of 36 odd points behind the rest of your rivals just on that decision alone yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right with saying the, the term template up. I know it sounds really, really boring, uh, but you know, if you take your eye away from mini leagues at mo- for a moment and kind of think, well, what am I sad about? I'm probably sad about my ORs, not not where I want it to be. Just just buy the obvious players, have a nice cup of tea, and watch your rank go up over the course of the next kind of two or three weeks. Like you know, I was one million in game week three, uh, way way behind you, wasn't I, Nick? For example, and then you know quite a few game weeks later because I've just played a fairly straightforward game top uh, in the top 50k obviously it would have been great if I'd have done x y and z but you can't really you know you've got to just think about that as being an ecumenical matter it doesn't really matter anymore now that you can you look forward and as Stag said you've got so many game weeks left that bide your time and do take those chances if they are calculated ones don't do mad ones like I did with Sanchez for god's sake uh, but do do ones which uh, you know in those kind of final two or three slots that maybe could be something that could give you a little bit of an edge on those kind of guys who are heavily templated. But it's, it's all a balance, I suppose. Um, but in the short term, just make sure you stabilise your team, as it were, uh, would be my advice. And don't pick mad captains either, uh, which is an awkward segue to the final question and towards the end of the pod, which is captains uh, Taufik El-Sharaf um, asked, who are we captaining this week? And um, he gives a, a pile of options like Conaguero, Hazard, Martial, Richarlison, Lacazette, Salah, obviously. Before we do transfers, let's talk about captains this week. Obviously, I think it's probably all going to be contingent on press conferences to some extent. But any early captaincy thoughts, guys? Uh, stag first. My iron band is currently on Aguero. Uh, just kind of fancy City against West Ham more than I fancy Liverpool against Watford. But to be perfectly honest with you, from that point of view, in terms of the antics during the international break, I'm not really getting too concerned about Salah, who only played one game because Egypt had a game called off, nor am I getting all that concerned about Aguero, who just was on holiday for a, a what 10 days perhaps so really it's going to be a shield pick from me i have no need to go chasing points now i've had a i had a few slightly left field captains in the last few weeks or just you know picking maybe the second most popular captain i think i'll probably just go whatever the consensus seems to be going with and uh hope from there so it'll probably be aguero it may be salah i just yeah i just it's just not the week to risk it yeah i think for me there's there's no real standout captain option there's not a single player screams captain me for this game week it's a decision between Salah and Aguero at the end of the day and now Mendy's injured I'm looking at Manchester City and thinking Aguero is my only actual cover for that game whilst with Liverpool I also have Mane and I also have Robertson so I'm not sure if I want to go sort of aggressively what I consider quadruple up on a team by captaining Salah as well and I think I'm probably leaning towards the Aguero captaincy, even though there's a little bit more of a question mark, I guess, about his fitness levels. This is a good week, actually, for differential captains because there is no standout. So you don't lose perhaps as much. If there's a player, you know, Aguero is playing Huddersfield at home, for example, everyone captains him. You're going to lose out a fair bit. Hopefully there'll be a little bit of a spread this week. You know, Watford, Salah um, as well in the mix. I'm, I'm looking at Richarlison with that Cardiff game and thinking, oh, there could be something in that. But that, to me, seems to depend on um, Sigurdsson being fit, left in the protective boot after the last game. He's really needs to knit it all together. If he's not in, I, I I won't be considering Richarlison. Martial, if he's fit, maybe another one if I do bring him in. But yeah, it's likely to be obviously between Kun and Salah. And I'm actually leaning towards Salah a little bit um, just because it's 
I, th- I think they're both going to probably score equally. It's probably going to be one of those weeks where no one's going to be any of the wiser. Um, but with Salah, he is the midfielder, so he gets one more point. So if, they, if he and Kun both score, you're going to get a little bit more from him. Tantamount's one bonus point, effectively. Um, but it, it's really close. I mean, West Ham is slightly worse defensively at home compared to Watford. I'm probably going to be looking at the polls on Friday, looking at a few other bits and pieces on Friday and then coming to a final decision. But yeah, it's probably going to be one of the big guys, even though I would like Richards and captaincy. And there is a little bit of me that really does want to take the risk because there is, seems like a good time to do it. Uh, but it does depend on Ziggy. Transfers then, guys. I'm sitting on 2FT. Nick, you're, you're sitting on one and probably a hit. Uh, Stag, where are you looking at the moment? Sitting on one transfer at the moment, and there's no really obvious move coming to me except for that rectifying that city defense. But to be honest, I think I'm prioritizing for the like I keep talking about Hazard, um, but Hazard in game week 14 at home to Fulham uh, is kind of where my head's at. So I think perhaps being able to do that for no hit would be nice. So I might just save this transfer and go into it then. I've kind of escaped the international break with just uh Darty and one Basaka flagged, which means I've still got Pereira Robertson and Alonso the par defense there to back me up so i think i'll be fine i think i'll probably roll the transfer and we'll go again fair play i think for me i think rosa reverse thomas it looks like it's going to be another hit for my team as i just get rid of that volkswagen straight away um i don't know i think um yeah volks jimenez um seems to make a little bit of sense even though it's a case of tripping up on walls i quite like the move well in terms of mendy replacements i've run through some of the options i'm looking at perhaps chill well Perhaps DNA, I haven't really made a decision. I'm probably not going to get Stones in because I've just looked at, you know, the Manchester City rotation in that centre-back slot and I'm very worried about the likes of Company and Otamendi who probably want to play a little bit more. So it's a tough one. Probably DNA or Chilwell, but I'll, I'll probably make up my mind uh, on the day, on Friday. Yeah, fair enough. Definitely leave it till Friday. It's definitely the Austin rule, isn't it? And showing how you should probably be patient with your transfers. Uh, for me, replacing Mendy, a lot of it relies on Doherty being being all right, actually, because if I do replace Mendy with someone cheap and then float the other transfer, then I'm really going to need him to play. Bye-bye Balbuena. He's got Man City at home. Wan-Bissaka flagged. My night of the way, or yeah, that's basically my two options. Is there anything to be said for another mass just for Doctor's health? You know, <laughs> something just to make sure he, he comes back. Um, we really, really need him, don't we? But Johnny's injury means that I'm not going to be doubling up on Wolves now at the back. Uh, just uh, hope that uh, Doherty gets them lion's share of the points in an attacking return. Where so Rubicicio loses clean sheet. Probably gonna, it's between playing Kennedy or taking two, using both transfers to remove Mendy for Balbuena and putting Martial in, or removing uh, Mendy for Dinier or Kino and putting a, and putting Jimenez in. I'm, I'm not too sure yet. Do, do kind of fancy Jimenez a little bit. He was my kind of hot take pick at the at the end of last week is the transfer I was probably going to do. So a, fa- a fair bit of information needed. I went to the press conferences on Friday, but definitely uh, definitely Mendy's going to be downgraded. I don't think I'm going to be moving him straight across to the port with Edson in situ. Okay, uh, there's a theme every week. Last week it was Mario Kart, uh, Phil Carter or Mr. Walker Porter. We're not too sure anymore back in the halcyon days of uh, pre-international break got there first, we think. Uh, just so who we are again, of course, we are who got to be assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. If you want to join our league, our league is 516 slash 441. Thank you, uh, FPL Stag, for joining us uh, this game week. Uh, brilliant to have you on the pod again. And uh, thanks uh, to our live audience as well. Um, you know, second second time giving it a go, but it's always good fun. Uh, thanks for coming on, Stag. Pleasure having you. Thank you very much. Uh, absolute pleasure to be on, always. 
cool and hopefully see you again very soon we'll be back next week for a, uh, a normal podcast after the uh, the first games after international break we'll be lamenting our 45 pointers and the fact that we didn't bring in vinegray or something after his 12 pointer against huddersfield in the meantime i hope it's assisted you and we'll speak to you again soon goodbye oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist Social Podcast Network.